Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. series in Galatians that we've called No Longer Slaves. And if you've missed the first couple, that's okay, because I'm going to start by filling you in on the story so far. So the Apostle Paul had basically traveled throughout a region that's called Galatia. And everywhere he went, he preached the gospel, loads of people became Christians, and he had planted churches. And at that point, in the musical version, you hear a sort of ta da 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 Because in behind Paul come a group of people who get referred to as the Judaizers. And once he's left the church, they come in and they go, you know Paul's message that you can be right with God and you can be close with God because of everything that Jesus did for you? Well, I mean, that's the beginning. But actually, we'd like to add a couple of other things. So we think all your blokes should be circumcised and then you should all follow all the Jewish law because, you know, what Jesus did was good. It was a good start. But actually then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we would like to see you add on as well. And this absolutely infuriated Paul. Why? Because Paul knew what freedom Jesus had paid for. He knew what Jesus had done, what it had cost him and what it meant. And to see somebody come behind that and say, no, actually, you're not free. It's not quite enough. Actually, you've got to fulfill a huge list of 600 and odd rules that, to be honest, nobody's actually managed so far, but have a go. It just saddened Paul. You see, Paul understood that when Jesus died on the cross, all the things that separate every human being in the planet from their God All the nonsense, all the hurtful things we've done, all the stupid things, all the things people have done to us, just all the things and the rubbish and the junk, all that nonsense that stands between us and God who is so holy and wonderful and perfect. When Jesus dies on the cross, that gets cleaned away and you and me can come close and have a relationship with God that is as close as the closest parent and child. And not only that, but the power of sin is broken in our life. When Jesus dies on the cross, he conquers sin. He conquers death. And those things, you know those sins, those things that pull you back and trip you up, the power of them is broken at the cross and we can walk free. And even, even more than that, the things that people have done to us, the sins committed against us that have wounded us and hurt us, we'll even be able to be free from them. So this freedom was a huge deal. And that was the gospel that Jesus had given Paul and that Paul had given to the Galatians. And then in behind him had come these blokes saying, oh, well, that's not quite it. Actually, you're gonna have to add a whole bunch of stuff yourself. And you see, the problem for Paul was that Paul didn't just like visit their churches and then, you know, take an airplane home. This was a slower society. He had walked to their town and lived with them and eaten with them and shared with them. And he led a number of them to Christ and he stayed with them and discipled them. And then he'd go to the next town and do the same. And then he'd go to the next town and do the same. 
So Paul really knew these people. For Paul, this is really personal. Galatians can look, you know, 2,000 years forward, it can, it can look to us like it's, this is about a bit of a theological jostle. It's about a difference of opinion. It is so far from that. For Paul, this is really personal. And it's interesting to me that the doctrine of grace, the whole fantastic thing of what Jesus' death means is written not in a treatise or a set of rules or points. It's not put in a report. It's put in a letter. And it's a letter from a spiritual dad to his spiritual kids, reminding them of everything that he taught them. It's a very personal letter. And you know, when the Judaizers had come in with this teaching saying, well, actually, there's a whole load of other stuff you need to do, this must have been really confusing for a bunch of new Christians who'd just been taught that Jesus has set them free, that they can be close to God, to suddenly get a new teaching. It would be hard, wouldn't it? It would be hard. It was hard. And so this letter, because Paul is now away from them, this letter is Paul writing back to them and dealing with the issue. And the first couple of talks we saw in chapter one, Paul just gets right to it. The letter kind of goes, hi, and then goes right to it. And in verse six in chapter one, Paul says this, I am astonished that you so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Two mics, okay. Which is really no gospel at all. I bet it's the hair. The hair and this mic don't always go together. I live in hope because I quite like this. I think, it's good. I think it's a good look. What do you think? This is not such a good look, but I think the hair, it's not, it's not working for me. Right, back to the, really what I'm meant to be talking about. So Paul writes to them and right in there, I mean, it's just a tiny little hello. And then he says, I am astonished that the gospel that I gave you, the message of freedom, the message about what Jesus had done, as soon as those guys came along, you just left it for another gospel, which isn't a gospel at all. And when we jump on to verse 11 of chapter one, he says, I want you to know that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, neither was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul's saying to them, listen, it's not just I had a message and the Judaizers have a message. You have to understand, my message didn't come from me. It was revealed to me by Jesus. The Jesus who died for you, the Jesus who laid down his life for you, he wants you to know you're free. So it's pretty, pretty hard stuff that he goes after. So by the time we get to Galatians 2, Paul has explained a little bit more biography of who he is, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. And what we see is that if anybody understood about following the law and being set free, it was Paul. We see in his biography that he had actually been a Jew and a leader in the Jewish church. And the leaders in the Jewish church were obviously the ones that instructed everybody else on every single little bit of all the rules they had to follow. Then Paul is converted to Christianity and then goes on to be the leader that the Christian church trusts to take the message out to the whole non-Jewish world. So Paul knows the journey. And then we get to verse 11 and we're going to read down to 21 together. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those that belonged to the circumcision group. That's the Judaizers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuilt what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So before we jump into that text, to give you a little more context, I want to tell you a bit about Paul, who's written this letter. And the thing you have to understand about Paul is that Paul is not a half-measures kind of guy. You know those kind of people who are like, if they're into it, they're really into it and they believe everybody else should be into it too? Do you know anyone like that? Confidentially, I'm like that. I'm a bit all on or all off and if I'm into it, I just kind of think, well, why wouldn't everyone want this? So you can ask Scott, he would tell you. So I, I, I fully empathize with Paul. And as the result of that is that you usually enthuse about things first, talk about things first, and then you think about the wisdom of having talked about it second. And that's a little bit of a drawback. And I see that in Paul when I read the Bible. I just see him saying things and I think, hmm, yeah, that's the sort of thing that I would do. So when Paul is a Jewish leader... He is a 110% Jewish leader. He goes all out, persecuting Christians. He's front of the queue. That's what he's into. And then, you can read it in Acts chapter 9, absolutely brilliant story. He has a conversion to Christianity that is spectacular. I mean, it is. It's absolutely blinding light from heaven. Da, 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 spectacular. And he goes on, he's on a journey at the time, and he's going to a town called Damascus. And when he gets to Damascus, being the full-on kind of guy, he is now a full-on Christian, just like that, because he's a full-on person. So he sort of thinks, well, what will I do next? So he goes into the Jewish synagogue in Damascus and says, hey, here I am. You know how I'm the guy who's come from Jerusalem to lead the charge of the persecution of the Christians? Well... I've become a Christian. Let me tell you all about it. And funnily enough, and I too find this sometimes, not everybody was with them. And in fact, they were quite the opposite of with them, to the point that the Christians in the town had to kind of like sneak him out under cover of darkness before somebody killed him. So he's not deterred, because full-on people are not usually deterred by one negative encounter. Oh no, not indeed. 
So he goes to Jerusalem and he thinks, I know, I will go and hang out with the Christians. So goes to Jerusalem and he says, here I am. You know, I'm the guy who used to persecute you. Yeah, I killed your mum, killed your sister, killed your auntie. Sorry about that. Well, you'll never guess what. I am a Christian now. And surprisingly, they're not all that happy either. And the Bible tells us they're actually afraid of them. And do you know why? This is what I think, because I've watched enough of these sort of double agent type of Netflix series to know that what they're thinking is, he's trying to trick us into admitting we're Christians, and then he's going to cart us off to prison, torture us, kill us, or whatever it is they do after they cart you off. So they're a bit afraid of him. Is he put off? No, not at all, because he's a full-on sort of a guy. So he goes out, and he just tells everybody. Now, there's a persecution going on at this point, and the Christians are probably being quite wise about how they're doing things. You know, the way you would if you were a missionary in a country where it wasn't really all that good, you know, good an idea to share the gospel openly in case you got killed. So... Is Paul put off by that? No, not at all. So out he goes, telling people all about Jesus. Wisdom, zero. Enthusiasm, 10 out of 10. And actually, he stirs up so much trouble that the Christians in Jerusalem are like, man, this guy is a nightmare. So they they sort of come around him, just a few of them who are not too afraid, and they put him on a boat. And if you get one of those sort of Bible maps, it's Jerusalem, and they put him on a boat that goes sufficiently far enough away that he's not going to come back in a hurry. I mean, that is what they do. And then Paul, full-on, larger-than-life, passionate Paul, is away from everybody and everything. And the commentators say that during the next three years, he spent significant chunks of time in the Arabian desert. And what's interesting is that during this time, something happens in the heart of Paul. Because he had spent all his life up until then following every letter of the law. He was Mr. Do it right. Mr. Tell everybody else they should be doing right. And when he comes out of that experience, he is Mr. Grace. And that's a huge shift. And so when Paul is speaking to the Galatian Christians, he understands what it is to be enslaved to a set of rules that you will never be able to get right and to meet Jesus and to be transformed by his grace into somebody who stands with Jesus' sacrifice covering their sin. Paul knows what that is and he also knows the massive mistake it would be to try and transform back the way. And so he's reaching out to the Galatians and saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then we come to verse 11 in the, cha- in the verses that we read. And we're going to come to another person whose life has been transformed by grace, and that's Peter. And in verse 11, Paul very kindly writes an account of Peter meeting the Judaizers and kind of not being at his very shining best. And um, do you ever read the Bible and feel a bit sorry for Peter? Yeah. Like if you really read it properly, it is really quite sad for Peter at points. It really is. Because not like once or just twice, but there are a number of times when Peter's like biggest, horriblest mistakes are recorded in the best-selling book in history for billions and billions of people to read and reread and record in the Daily Audio Bible to be read and heard forever and ever. Amen. It's like, that's not where I would want my mistakes to be. No, absolutely. 
Definitely not. So this is one of those. So let's just put ourselves in Peter's position for a minute because it, it isn't going to be nice. It's going to be a little bit ugly. And what happens basically, we saw in verse 11, is basically everybody's all hanging out together. You know, they used to be Jews. They used to be pagans. They used to be this. They used to be that. We're all hanging out because we're all Christians now. And then in come the Judaizers. And Peter kind of, he gets a little bit afraid of what they think about him. And he does that thing that you do when you want people to think well of you. You just sort of change a little bit into what they'd like you to be to try and make them happy. We've all done it, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. The, the honest people are nodding. Yeah, that's it. The rest of you are just squirming. And Paul does the right thing, but it's a tough thing. Paul confronts him. He does it immediately, he does it publicly, and then he writes it down in the Bible so that everybody forever and ever knows that Peter blew it and was a hypocrite in public. Why? Because the gospel of grace was at stake. What Jesus has accomplished on the cross for you and me and every human being in history was at stake. It was being challenged and Peter was a leader. And the thing about being a leader, if any, any of you who've been leaders in any realm will know, is that leaders get authority. And we can use that authority for good. We can influence people. And we can change the world around us. But along with that authority comes responsibility. And our lives become an example. And people read our lives probably more than they listen to what we say. And what we do then matters. And what Peter, a very key leader in this new church, does at this moment really matters. And you notice in the text that immediately it says that some of the other Jewish Christians go and join Peter in his hypocrisy and start pretending that they all, yeah, we, we still do the little thing. Yeah, mm -hmm, we still do that. And that's what they do. I, I don't know if they did it in the girly version. That was the girly version, but it's probably a more kind of fisherman type version to it. But I can't do that. I won't be able to carry that off. And let's remember that Peter was also of a Jewish background, just like Paul. So Peter had moved quite recently from a life that had been defined and shaped by following the law to a life that was defined by Jesus' sacrifice for him. It was a complete sea change. I mean, this isn't like a change to the rules. This is a whole new set of rules. And, you know, Peter was good with it. He, he got a hold of it. But he's having a wee wobble. And a uh, funny but true story. Yesterday, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a member of two churches. Glutton for punishment, long story, but there it is. So yesterday, my other church is a much smaller church than this. And it has a wee building. And um, it's one of those do-it-yourself churches. So every time they need something done, you have to do it yourself. So um, we've been having some work done in the building. And uh, I am the number one decorator, painter and decorator. So I'd been in on Friday and I'd just been up some scaffolding, as you do, having a wee bit of painting. And it just wasn't quite, I'm a bit pernickety, it wasn't quite right. So yesterday, there'd been some blokes in doing stuff. And um, myself and my friend Jen, we had volunteered to go and put everything back after they'd been. And I said, oh, but I'd just like to touch up the second coat and a couple of wee bits of my decorating, I said. 
So we went and I, 20 minutes, did my wee touch up. I was like, it's perfect, very happy. Great, we'll put everything away. And then suddenly, Jen and I looked at each other and went, oh, whoops. What about this scaffolding? How many of you know about this? This is really cool. This scaffolding that's made out of sort of aluminium bits and pieces. It's quite lightweight and you can put it up and put it down quite quickly if you know what you're doing. Not many of you. I'm telling you, it's an absolute revelation. It's brilliant because, I mean, this scaffolding was up probably about as high as the top of that rail there up in the gallery. And I went up on it and there was bars around. It was all quite safe. It was fine. I'd like to point out that I did do gymnastics as a child and it's paying off. So I didn't feel good sense of balance that's good so I said to Jen well I said I saw the electrician take it down I said I think we could do it so I've got a hammer and basically you, yeah it's a true story you stand on the scaffolding and you have to stand on the top bit and take the bits off and go down a level and take the bits off and go down a level but what that basically means is that you're standing 25 feet up in the air on a platform taking down the stuff that's keeping it safe while you're on it because you can't do that from the floor so Jen's on the floor and she keeps going are you okay Faith? I said oh yeah yeah <laughs> and it was actually truly terrifying because as you took all the bars off which you did by taking a hammer and going whack um, well that's how I did it the electrician made it look, <laughs> look a little bit more kind of cool than I did but as we took them off and put them down to Jen I suddenly thought whoa 25 feet up isn't feeling as safe. And you know, that's how I think it felt for Peter. Peter had to dismantle so many of the things that he had believed would keep him safe. He had to dismantle the laws. Can you imagine? You've just become a Christian. You don't need to follow the law anymore. You get up the next day, Rice Krispies or bacon sandwich. I mean, do you know, it's a lot, isn't it? It's Friday night. Do we do Sabbath or do we not? Do we go to church? Do we not? Is God going to still love me if I keep a pig, eat a pig? There's a lot of things to worry about. What do you do when you get mildew on your clothes? I'm telling you, you have to read the Old Testament if you don't know what I'm talking about because there is a lot of rules to follow. But Peter had taken down that scaffolding and chosen to follow Jesus. And the Judaizers come along and say, well, actually, you don't only need Jesus. You better put that scaffolding back up. So Peter thinks, oh, Yes, I can do that. Look at my scaffolding. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Paul, right in front of everybody, and you have, you have to love Paul because he does just call it as it is, says, hey, Peter, you live like a Gentile now. That's not what you want, is it? He calls him out. He says, Peter, you do not do that anymore. You used to. You do not do that. Don't pretend you don't. Write publicly, writes it in the Bible and everything. Why? Because right at this moment, if they put the scaffolding up again, it's like saying Jesus needn't have bothered dying. It's like saying, that's nothing, let's go back. And Paul is not about to let that happen. And you know, I honestly believe at this point in the church's life, it's such a young church, such a new time, and you've got this tension between the gospel of grace that says Jesus sacrifices enough and then the Judaizers teaching that say, no, no, it's not quite enough. You have to do a whole bunch more yourself. It really is Jesus plus your work. The church could have split. It could have split into two camps quite easily. 
And does it split? No. And do Peter and Paul fall out and never talk to each other again? No. And does Peter get kicked off the leadership of the Jerusalem church? No. Why? Because Paul's life had been transformed by the grace of God. Peter's life had been transformed by grace. And that transformation led them to be people who lived a life of grace. And grace on our lives means that when we make mistakes, even really big ones, if we are heart sorry, like really sorry, and we recognize what we've done and we take steps to change, we get forgiven. We get second, third, fourth chances. That's what grace is. And that's what happens to Peter. And the result of this is not a split church, it's a stronger church who's examined what they believe, decided what they're going to stand on. And it's a church that touches the lives, even in Peter and Paul's lifetime, of hundreds of thousands of people and goes on to be the church we know today, which exists in every country of the world and has more members now than every other time in history added together. And it could have been so different just in that moment. And that's because grace is worth fighting for. Because it is grace that brings freedom. Laws and rules and anything that we put in our life to try and add to the gospel is just going to bring us back into slavery. And you know, most of us are not of a Jewish background. You may never have tried to follow the Old Testament laws to improve your standing with God. But we've all done something. Perhaps you've tried to follow a moral code that you could never quite keep up to. Perhaps you've been in caught by a sin that you just try so hard but you can't break free from perhaps you've had a set of beliefs that mean you never really quite feel good enough and then when we meet Jesus and realize we don't have to be good enough we would never manage it anyway but he died in our place and made us good enough then we break free But you know, like the Galatians, we often are very, we're tempted to walk back and start building a little bit of scaffolding because I used to feel safe when if I behaved like this and did this, life was safer. And I don't know, it just seems to be a human thing. And you know, if you go out there into the streets of Edinburgh and ask people questions like, do you believe you'll go to heaven? Do you believe God loves you? Do you know what a lot of people will still answer? Well, I've been a good person. Do you know what that means? It means, well, I've tried. I've done my best. Whatever their moral code or set of rules, whatever it is, what they're saying is, I've done my best. And it can feel harsh to say, well, your best is never going to be good enough. But actually, if you start to look at the Old Testament laws and look at the standard of holiness, look at how fantastic heaven's going to be, there's just no way we could go in the way we are. There's no way we're going to be good enough. And actually, when people are on their deathbed, Do they really want to face a God who's going to do a plus and a minus score? Not really. Even if it's fair, it's not really what we want. What we really want is grace. We want mercy. We want forgiveness. And beautifully, that's what Jesus offers us. And right in the middle of this confrontation, Paul then gets to the heart of the gospel as he's addressing Peter. In verse 16, he said, A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And that word justified appears three times. I mean, Paul is repeating himself, isn't he? Why? Because this is so, so, so important. This is a deal breaker and this is a significant moment in history. What does justified mean? Hendrickson defines justification as the gracious act of God, whereby on the basis solely of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, he declares the sinner just. Justification is the act by which you and I get set right before God so we can go on to have that relationship with him, that close relationship You know, I was hearing this morning that some of you may know Esther and Joel, and I was hearing that they'd had their baby. And, you know, there's that moment, if you've ever been there, when someone's got a new baby, and you look at a parent with a new baby, and you think, cool. Like, it's a close, close thing. When God is with you, your relationship with him and your standing before him is such that he looks at you like that lost in awe and wonder because he is yours and you are his and that's the way he wants it to be and any of the junk that comes in to remove you from God he has given us the tools to take it out of the way again because that is what the relationship is supposed to be like you see for the Judaizers like so many people today it was all about hard work it was all about doing a little bit more being a little bit better that lies still around There's nothing wrong with doing more. There's nothing wrong with being nice. There's nothing wrong with doing it better. But believing that our standing before God is based on our work and our performance is just the road to never feeling good enough because it's the road to never being good enough. See, for the followers of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did. It's beautiful. And is it any wonder that Wesley, John Wesley, called justification a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort? I love that. And you know, the irony for the Galatians is they had tasted freedom. And the irony for so many of you sitting in this room tonight is that many of you have tasted freedom. You have heard that you're forgiven. You have heard that Jesus' death is is enough. We've heard it. And then we're tempted to start erecting a little bit of the old scaffolding. And we start to wobble. And instead of standing firm on what Jesus paid for, on his grace, we start to build a little bit of our own work. And then inevitably, about 25 feet, it starts to feel very, very shaky indeed. Speaking from personal experience. Because having tasted freedom and returning to slavery is absolutely madness. Because we are free. And that's who we're meant to be. Not, as Carl pointed out, free to do what we want any old time. Oh, but so, so much more fun than that. We are free to be absolutely everything that God has made us to be. So let's stand. I think there is only one response to that. And that's to begin to worship.